0: In this podcast, Wayne Bruce talks to Shelley Park, the Chief Executive
1: at the Australian Red Cross Lifeblood.
0: Shelley, thanks very much for your time today. A pleasure, Wayne. We've known each other a long time to our mutual benefit and enjoyment, I think. So uh, yeah, today's just an opportunity to have a bit of an informal chat about your career and where it started and where it's sort of taken you. So um, I think when you first looked at university, you studied nursing, what led you to go down that path?
1: It's such a um, such a good question and it's not one that's um, an average, you know, I, I certainly didn't grow up always wanting to be a nurse. I was working in a car sales yard and I was doing stock control and it wasn't really motivating me and inspiring me and I happened to look outside the window one day and I saw a nurse walking past and I'm a little bit set, sorry to say I looked at the uniform and I thought, I could wear that. That then made me think about what it does it mean to be a nurse? And I then started to do lots more. So it's not just that I saw a uniform and made a career choice, but it actually prompted me to think about something different. And at the time, I didn't have a lot of qualifications. Well, I didn't have any qualifications. I had school certificate when I left school. So I had to go through a long path to get to um, being eventually a registered comprehensive nurse. But that said, I'm really pleased I did because I learned so much along the journey.
0: Um, interesting how you end up places sometimes. I mean, Absolutely. I, I never plan to spend 30 years in executive recruitment, but I, I have and I, I've loved it every every day since I have, so yeah. you can be lucky. You serve, uh, you have or you do serve on a number of boards, Shelley, Perhaps you know, what do you think is the most important functions that a board has in its governance.
1: Well, I think strong and transparent governance, really. You know, I think boards have to absolutely understand an organisation. They need to understand the structure, the strategy, the finances. They need to understand the revenue, the customer base and that broad context, all of within the environment that they're working in. And, and you know, that includes behaviours, culture and ethic. And, you know, as we watch things playing out, through the media, even over the last number of weeks, I reflect often on what is it that is happening within these environments for us to see some things go so wrong and and what they do. And so a growing theme for me is a skill of judgment because I think you have to have incredibly good judgment on a board, not only for yourself, for the board, but also for the organisation. So, you know, boards have got so much responsibility and they need to ensure that that resilience and what they do in the environment, whether it be fiduciary, strategic, operational, customer or employee, all come with the same standards and those that actually lead governance in every way. So you have to live it, you have to do it and you have to understand it. You know,
0: you're with now Australian Red Cross Lifeblood as a CEO. Have been for for a number of years. How do you and your team work to attract and retain talented people into the business?
1: Yeah, it's such a great question. We we work out what skills we want, but it's not only a skill set. It's actually the behaviours and the and the whole person that we look at. Um, and one of the things that I often say to others, especially at executive level, is that we also want people that have better skills than than ours, we want to bring diversity, diversity of thinking, diversity of thought, diversity of gender, obviously, and culture and ethnicity and all of that, but so that we actually have that blend, because You don't want all like thinkers. You want creativity. You want innovation. You want some people that can really deliver. So it's very much about being very clear on what you need and then making sure that you recruit the right person in. It's about being able to articulate what your offering is and what you're looking for. And at Lifeblood, we're incredibly lucky because we've got an amazing purpose. Um, And we're actually really privileged to have that purpose, which is providing, you know, Lifeblood. Um, plasma, transplantation, biological products for world-leading health outcomes. And so that inspires people and attracts people, but we need to make sure that people aren't thinking just because we are under the not-for-profit umbrella, that it's a, a, a organisation to come and work in at the end of career or when you're wanting something a little bit gentler, because what we're also looking for is commercial thinking as part of what we do. So we I think part of our challenge is to really articulate what we do and what we're looking for and making sure that we recruit well to actually meet our purpose and our delivery of what we do.
0: When you're recruiting people in at senior levels, you know, where C-centric tends to focus, I mean, what are the sort of key attributes you look for people just building on what you just said? I mean, there's obviously the technical skills, but what are you looking for in terms of cultural fit and sort of EQ and that type of?
1: Honesty, transparency, really good communicators, because I think communication is so important, both written and verbal. Looking for a culture of inclusion, people who listen, obviously trust, understanding humanity, because we've got a a quite diverse being part of the broader um, Red Cross as well. So humanity is an important principle for us. Um, So that means that the person can actually work in a commercial model with an underlying humanity behind it, which for me is a lovely blend. Um, So I think it's those behaviours and cultures and, and really strong leadership. Um, being able to inspire and motivate others and and help people deliver on what our purpose is.
0: As you've referred a couple of times to diversity and inclusion being an increasingly important issue for both employees and boards, what sort of trends and things have you seen occurring to promote that in the last five, 10 years?
1: I think we've moved away from just thinking about diversity as gender and ethnicity, and and it has broadened. So I think diversity of thought, but also inclusion as part of diversity. There's a a beautiful quote by um, Verna Myers that says diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. And I think diversity is actually moving and growing and evolving as we go forward. I think there is a a true appreciation now around the richness and depth that it brings to an organisation. So therefore, I think we can articulate it a lot clearer as to what the value is that that it is. And I think that said, I think we can't take our focus off gender and ethnicity because we've still got quite a way to go. It was really interesting. um, I don't know whether you saw a McKinsey article that came out just recently and based in America, obviously but it talked about its being, its. I think it was its sixth annual Woman in the Workplace um, piece and it it was referring to the impact of racial violence and barriers that women of colour are facing and it talked about a notable conclusion that more than one in four women in the US are contemplating downshifting their careers or leaving the workforce completely. Now that would have been unthinkable in America six months ago and I'm not sure what impact things like that are going to have here in Australia. But I think we need to keep an eye on it because we thought we were starting to make a little bit of progress around um, gender parity, for example. We need to make sure that the events of the last six months doesn't change that direction. So I think, you know, over time we've broadened what that diversity is. But I think the current climate is going to make us rethink some of that as well.
0: The impact of COVID-19, which everyone's lives been changed dramatically, what impact has it had on, on Lifeblood?
1: Like every organisation, that's totally transformed so much of what we do. We have been incredibly lucky, but luck always comes with very good strategic leadership, vision and um, having capabilities around the organisation that are second to none. So for us, we don't have any product without people. So we have to rely on on our donors who are a tremendous group of people who actually give of themselves to someone they will never meet. So we would not have any of our product if we actually didn't have someone giving something of themselves, whether that be their blood, their plasma, um, an organ donation, which we support as well, these organs. So we are so reliant on people. Then we have to have the people following those really safe and robust processes right through so that we can then deliver back into the health service what is needed. And that and that could be human milk, that could be plasma, that could be blood. So we have been incredibly privileged right through COVID to have maintained our donor base. And I say we're privileged because when we've looked around internationally, that has not happened in every country. So many countries have had their donor base fall off and we have a very loyal donor base. We also have an organisation that is really committed to keeping that donor base as part of us. So we've had to do things like change our donor centres Places of wellness, so that people are very, very clear that that they're not going to be at risk. There, we've had to communicate with people in a different way, so they know that they're safe. Whether that be our donors or our people working within our organisation, we've had to innovate. Um, we never ever thought that we would lose all of our um, freight transportation around Australia, for example, almost overnight. Um, so we used to back on passenger craft as well as freight craft to move product both in and out of us. Of, of the different places around Australia. And all of that fell over almost overnight. We rely on the international freight to get get in some of the things such as citrate, which helps us to collect plasma. That comes from Ireland and that then has to be freighted through because we don't actually produce what we need here in Australia. So we've had to find really different ways and and be agile in how we've done that. And I am so proud to say that we have not missed a beat. We've had to work long and hard. We've had to find different ways, but we have ensured that we collect and we make and we deliver right through that product life cycle. And we've just been agile, we've innovated, we have had to change some things up, we've had to change how we do things, um, all without taking any eye off regulators and safety. And what I must say is the government and the regulators in Australia, the TGA have been amazing how they have supported us on some of the changes that we've needed to make and we've made them so quickly things that would have normally taken us you know two or three years to do with our you know strategic intent and then doing the policy changes and going through everything it's it's been really impressive to see and I I couldn't be prouder of every person in our organization but also our relationship with the National blood Authority the government uh, the TGA I think that it's all worked together so incredibly well, but we've all worked with transparency so we understand what we've needed to deliver.
0: When you eventually semi-retire or retire, which I'm sure is still a few years away, when you sort of perhaps have time to reflect on your career, what 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 would come to mind as your greatest achievements or contributions?
1: Probably the, I have had an amazing career in health and and I've stayed largely in public health, although there's more of a commercial model behind Lifeblood as well. So I think, you know, I would look back and be really proud of the impacts and the difference that I've made. Um, We have just achieved our strategic vision with the Australian government to in in the area of plasma. So we will be a lot more self-sufficient in Australia with plasma. We've secured for the next, until 2025, um, a 10% growth for plasma for fractionation. I would look back on the leadership of people. To me, people are the essence of everything that we do. And without our people on... Um, the direction that we're doing and without us having been able to inspire them and articulate where we're going, to share our strategic vision, to inspire them and motivate them and what they do. I think that focus of, of inclusion has been something I've been really proud of. I, I have to say fiscal management because no organisation, I learned very early in my career, cash is king and it absolutely is. So, so being able to put strategy and strategic thought but never take our eye off that bottom line I think is something that I would be incredibly proud of as well as I looked back Um, at both Monash and at Lifeblood we have gone through changes of names so Lifeblood used to be the blood service why did we change we changed so that we could actually reflect the whole contribution of the whole organisation because we were more than just blood and to do that and to um, connect with the community and have that community support and understanding um, and then to have really delivered that well that's a real tribute to our people, but it also takes strategic leadership and vision. And I think the capability of working with government, I can't be successful in what I do. Lifeblood can't be successful in what they do. Monash couldn't have been successful in what they did without strong relationships, strategic relationships with the governments of the day. And I think that is something that we often underestimate the importance of, and something that I think has been done incredibly well. You know, some of the other things that we've done at Lifeblood... um, over the last few years has introduced human milk banking. Now, human milk banking was something that used to be done in different parts of Australia, but there was no national strategy, no national policy. Um, And whilst we're not quite there yet, we've significantly contributed to that and and have some investment from government at the moment to help secure that even further. So, so yes, strategy and operations have to go hand in hand. You have to look after today, but you also need to know where you're going tomorrow.
0: So if you were talking to a younger group of people that are in the early career, you know, late 20s, early 30s, they wanted to build their career and be successful in something related to health, what would be your top tips to them?
1: Believe in yourself, have confidence in yourself, understand the environment that you're going to be working in. Always have the confidence to surround yourself with people who are better than yourself and to To me, that is the core of diversity is is you have the different skill sets and the different thought processes. Take the time to understand and learn the environment. Sometimes take roles that might be a sideways role, but that will actually really grow your skill set to go forward. Find some really good mentors, both within the industry and outside of. And I think, you know, getting that breadth of thinking is really important. Don't underestimate the importance of education and make sure that, that you keep investing in yourself. Today I still every day I read, every day I learn, every day I learn off someone else or I read and, and I think that's a great thing to invest in yourself early in your career. I, I often reflect on the words of one of our previous governors here in Australia, Quinton Bryce, who said you can have it all but not all at the same time. So be fair to yourself and, and work out what you have and when you have it and you can blend some careers and family and everything that you want to do but sometimes you just have to work out what you're going to give so you've got to look after yourself on the whole the whole of your career because without you there is no career